I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to another edition of Rainer Hirsch's Proms in the Pub. My name is Rainer Hirsch and I am that rather unlikely combination of comedian and conductor. This is my twice-weekly unofficial podcast about the BBC proms, sort of outside the tent looking in, or a version of that, if you get my meaning. Never work with children or animals, they say. Well, actors say that. Total rubbish, of course. Actors are so desperate for the gig they will work with anyone. That was, of course, before lockdown, when absolutely everybody suddenly found themselves working at home on video calls to the accompaniment of kids, cats, parakeets and anything else that felt like wandering in. Yeah, can you, can you keep him out, please? I'm doing my podcast. Well, if there were a similar saying amongst conductors, it might be never work with dancers and singers. OK, dancers and singers have probably never humped anybody's leg live on camera. Well, I say that, it's a big world out there. But each of them presents special problems when you're also trying to hold it together with the orchestra. Dancers, because, well, quite a lot of them can't actually read music, which presents a problem when you're doing things with music. They are also hypersensitive to slight changes in tempo, the speed of the performance. If you go off even a fraction faster or slower than usual, you never hear the end of it. Here's a well-known joke. Conductor to choreographer. How do you want it today? Too fast or too slow? Singers can generally read music, but are instead sensitive to other things. Uh, The acoustics, atmospheric pressure, anyone with a cold, phases of the moon, ley lines, plankton blooms, Elvis's birthday, hitherto undiscovered particles of dark matter, the list goes on. In fact, I've hardly ever worked with a singer who has not at some point cancelled on me for one reason or another. Yeah, granted, I am the common factor in those experiences, but singers have always been a bit of a mystery. They do things like spend weekends resting their voice, like not speaking to anyone. They sit on tour buses, inhaling what appears to be liquid nitrogen. Amongst those that don't, I've spent the whole intermission backstage of concerts convincing sopranos that it's all right, they can go back on, it'll all be fine. I'm constantly reminded of that Anna Russell quotation, The only reason sopranos can produce such a beautiful sound with their voices is they've got a big resonance chamber where their brains used to be. Ah, all right, comedy cliches aside, the simple fact is singers are self-obsessed for a reason. If you're a pianist, say, a piano remains a piano from one day to the next, the same lump of wood and metal it always was. Singers are actually walking around with their instrument in them. Pianos don't wake up one day feeling a bit shitty, not in the mood to make the hammers hit the strings. Singers, like all of us from time to time, do. But if they want a career, the show still has to go on. Enter 
today's guest, star baritone Benjamin or Benjamin Apple, who didn't cancel on me despite having a very busy day when I met him. Former member of the BBC New Generation Artist Scheme, much sought after as song recitalist, look out for his Winterreise CD, oratorio soloist and much more besides. He is tall, charming and performed at the proms for the third time on Wednesday the 17th of August, a rather unusual slot in a symphony by the Danish composer Carl Nielsen. I met up with him a couple of days before and as it turned out we've got quite a lot in common, Ben and me. Germanness and Englishness for a start, and then the question of what we studied at university. Neither of us music. Me, economics, him, business administration. Yes, folks, my first degree was in economics. How do I feel about that? Well, suffice to say that if somebody told me I only had six months to live, I'd go back to university and enroll in another course in economics, because to me, doing that, six months would seem like an absolute eternity. Ben, however, dithered somewhat. Why did he take so long before committing himself to music? Well, therein lies a tale. Coming from a background where no one is a classical musician, my grandmother grew up in a village where one person wanted to become a musician and this young boy went mental and ended up in a mental hospital after a few years. So in the eyes of my grandparents, someone who studies music and is a professional musician ends up not in the best way. Right. So I think, uh, I mean, that was not really uh, something I took seriously, but it, there is something, becoming a musician and having this life, and as music can really um, mess up your emotions and get really into your inner system and into your inner world, um, it has such a power, and that's something where I think I was also afraid of. So there are two things. One thing is I was afraid of doing music on an emotional level, being a psychotherapist for yourself, and of course of the lifestyle. And uh, the, particularly as a singer, you're criticized on something very personal, on an instrument which is inside you. And it's not about, you know, you, you didn't fill out this paper form in the right way or whatever. It's really something which is on, on a different emotional level and personal level. And that's something I was also afraid of. So I think there were many different reasons coming together why I really thought, not just twice, um, about becoming a musician. And there's a lot of rejection, a lot of uh, waiting at airports, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of periods in life where actually your brain plays you around uh, that your voice is not working or that you're not liked or others have better careers and so on it's just so so messed up and uh, something you really have to love and burn for and not do it just halfway through yeah it's interesting um you know that elgar once said you know don't compose anything unless the not composing of it drives you crazy or words that effect <laughs> and you're basically saying don't do this Unless, you know, Absolutely. there's no other, <laughs> you're faced with no other no. kind of possible choice. Exactly. Do you, okay, so let me, let me start at the beginning. Uh, you're born in Regensburg and in Germany you have this lovely, fantastic Bavarian accent, which I absolutely love. But Regensburg, you, um, you studied Volkswirtschaft, you have a Betriebswirtschaft, which is different. So that's business administration. But in the beginning, the first two years are exactly the same. Um, so we sit together with the economists. Yeah. Before, so before I studied business, I actually worked in a bank for two and a half years. Yeah. Um, and then life had another plan for me. Or I had another plan for my life, I don't know. Yeah, are you a fatalist? 
Are you somebody that thinks? Yes. Yeah, you are. Because that that was a decision I didn't make myself. I just went with the flow and thought. I look around. I see what life brings. What situation bring. Um, so yeah. Do you suffer ever from? And this is. I'm not being facetious. I'm not being sarcastic. Um, when you're performing from imposter syndrome, betrüger syndrome, syndrome, I think. Yes, sometimes. Depends on the level of preparation. Where you just sometimes have the feeling you have to go through, you have to do your best and pretend you know it even better um, or that you feel better. Of course, we have all days uh, where we wake up and we have a sore throat or a phone call which upsets us and it, our focus goes completely away and that's human and sometimes the voice is not working the same way as it worked yesterday or the day before and uh, one of the greatest singers uh, with whom I also worked, Fischer Diska, Dieter Fischer Diska, he once said to me there are only six days a year where he felt 100% in good shape and all the other days you have to fake. Right, that's interesting. Um, I think Isaac Stern also said, you know, one in ten, only one in ten performances he felt was actually any good. Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau was, you know, was the byword in a recital. Well, and later in, he had all sorts of other careers he conducted as well. Um, and actually, do you know what? My first weekend at the Comedy Store. Are you aware of the Comedy Store is? It's on Leicester Square. It's the place everybody wants to perform if okay. you're a stand-up. Uh, it's a it's a slippery pole. It's like um, Vienna Staatsoper. I don't know where it is. It's some. It's it's Bayreuth or wherever it is. It's all of those. And I did my first weekend at the comedy store, and they used to pay you in a little brown packet of fifty-pound notes. And my first little brown packet, I took over the road, I took it up to MTV, and bought the complete box of Fisher Diskal. Wow, Gerald Moore. Oh, you're a nerd. Yeah, I don't think I've ever listened to all of them. I mean, I, I'm not, I no, probably listened to fifty percent. It was quite a lot. Yeah. So Fisher Diskal, you went to study with him. I mean, how did that kind of happen? So you, did you bump into him? Somewhere? No, he was my hero, of course. When I, I think it was the first recording not, not of German of songs. I was the one who went and bought all his CDs with the, with the little packet of. So he was my hero, but I didn't find him enough to to study with him. Tell me about that. So, um, I always my biggest dream was working with him, and I saw this poster that he was giving a masterclass at the Schubertheater in Schwarzenberg. That's in Austria, festival which specialised in chamber music and songs. And so there was this form, and we had to fill it out, and there was one question um, that we should mention 10 Schubert songs we would like to work with him on. And I've heard from other colleagues that he's quite tricky with repertoire and with singers, so I selected 30 Schubert songs and put it on my list. And a few weeks later, I was accepted uh, for this masterclass, but he chose four songs, and each of them were not part of my list. So, all of them were not part of my list. And um, I arrived, and then uh, we had the first day, six singers, each got half an hour. The next morning, his assistant came and said to the young baritone next to me, Professor Fischliska would like to see you in his green room. And afterwards, this boy disappeared. No one of us ever saw him again. And later I found out that this was kind of a regular situation at Fischer Disco after the first day, just kicked people out where he wasn't happy working with them. 
So at the end of the master class, his assistant came to me in the morning and said, Mr. Fischidisk, I would like to see you. And I was really like uh, quite nervous. Um, and then I went to his green room and uh, he gave me all his private contact details. And from this moment on, I came to his house in Berlin in Bavaria. Stayed there for two, three days. We worked for, I don't know, four, five, six hours a day. Um, and uh, really went through my entire repertoire. And uh, the last time I saw him was, was two weeks before he died. And um, so it was really the last session he, he had with me. And I uh, was very grateful for this entire journey of three, three and a half years. Yeah, it's funny because the teachers I've had, you have very intimate intense relationship with music teachers I think more more so than any other type of study I, I doubt if you would be thinking so funny about your professors for no not business administration no, it's a completely different level of connection yeah particularly with people who do the same uh, like Fischdisk is a baritone I was a baritone same repertoire and when you have really idols where you actually meet these people before through recordings or on stage or whatever that's a completely different journey that you then go on together. What was he like? With me, he was wonderful. He was really very nice. But with others, he was quite, quite brutal and cruel. Can you remember something he did that was brutal and cruel? Well, for example, there was a song. He actually chose this song for her in the end. Um, she was a student of his wife. Uh, a song called Der Zwerg, The Dwarf by Schubert, uh, which is a story about a queen and a little dwarf of course and the narrator and before this lady walked on she was a little Korean uh, soprano of course very obedient and um, so she walked on and he said before uh, she started singing so now we have a curiosity a young soprano comes with a baritone piece um, I think it's such a bad idea but let's see if she will be able to cope with it and she started singing and after one and a half pages he stopped and said ah Terrible, terrible, terrible. You can't sing this song. You don't understand the song. There are three characters. You, I don't feel any difference. I don't know where to start. It's really so bad. Let's stop here. And she stood there and didn't say anything, of course. Didn't want to upset him and didn't really mention that he chose the song for her. Um, and so he... That was, that was a very nasty moment. Yes. That... I think teaching is a skill, isn't it? Definitely. Um, so your little Korean woman, for example, that would have marked her life, that episode, in a way that maybe... Probably. Yeah. Um, and, you know, well, I've had some experiences like that, studying, conducting, people who actually can't teach. Um, and um, it's pretty destroying, really. can be very destroying, yeah. yeah. And that's also why I was quite happy meeting a titan like him, because... He, you have to have a personality. You have to know your strengths, what you want to do. And it's great then meeting these people you adore and take on board what they really can teach you. But also be aware the things you already actually made up your mind. And I think it's also important to be open-minded in this situation and try things out. I think that's also something everyone should always do. But when you go home in the evening, you take away what you really can use and where you think that's something which brings me to a next level and other things where you think no actually what I do I find it connects more with me and therefore also more with the audience so it's better to meet these these heroes later on not too early I think um, okay so this is about the proms it's called proms in the pub for a start I don't think you're a man who spends a lot of time in the pub 
because I would love to spend more time. Do you think I'm not funny enough? No, it's not that. It's you have to protect your voice. You're a man who would love to go. Listen, you're Bavarian. You you I were born. Beer. You were born in that beer keller, Brauerei. You know, or within in sight of one at least, or certainly within the of smell of one. But you know, you're a singer, and you know you have to protect your voice. You can't go out shouting in boozes. Yes, you have to be careful, of course. But I had a period where life, where my brain and my voice dictate, dictated dictated um, my life and uh, told me what to do and what not to do. And it got to an extent where you actually feel trapped very much. And it wasn't very nice. And I decided afterwards, coming out of this dark time, that actually I live my life. Of course, I have to consider things and carefully, but I also go into a pub and I love drinking a glass of beer or wine or and have a good life and meet people and have good food and so on. Yes, because that's also part of life and it's part where you find inspiration and, and, and joy in life and you need that also for, for all these uh, dull moments where you sit down and learn for hours your next text. So I love being in a pub. All right, so you're in the pub. Thank, well, well, thank you for that. What do you want? What do you want? What's your drink? Definitely lager. I'm still not into ale. Okay. Or like Guinness or something. That's not my, my cup of tea. Pint of lager for Mr. Apple, please. And um, the proms is obviously, again, what this is about. Um, do you think people know the proms in Germany? Yes, of course. Do they? Definitely. Okay. Most of the, I mean, depends. But yes, the last few weeks I when I performed in Germany and they asked what's coming up next, I mentioned the proms and and everyone knows the proms. Yes. Do they? Okay, because there's there's something called Night of the Proms, which is a big kind of touring extravaganza. They're not confusing it with that. I don't think so. <laughs> I think actually in, on certain TV jan- channels in Germany you can watch the last night of the proms as well. So. I don't think they are aware of the extent of the problems that it's just a, a, such a huge huge festival for many many weeks um, they might think it's just three or four performances but they of course know about and of the BBC problems yeah okay since we're on it what do you think of the last night of the problems I think it's a wonderful thing generally I think it's it's something so special and, and unique and everyone is so jolly and happy I love it I've to be honest, I've never been inside the hall. I've watched it many, many times. But I think it's it's such a great thing. What does the proms mean to you? The proms to me mean I had a chance to perform there twice uh, as a new generation artist of the BBC. Once was a Carmina Burana, which is a piece I fear a lot. Not particularly like very much. So that was my, my second prom, uh, five days later than the first one, which was... Uh, Brahms piece Triumphlied so it's like when I walk at the uh, on the stage of the Royal Arbital it feels like walking into the Colosseum of, of Rome S- similar shape of course but there is this long tunnel dark tunnel and then you see and hear the crowd out there and you really think there are tigers and lions in there and you just walk out and they just either you survive or you, you are killed and that's a little bit the feeling when you enter actually the stage of the Royal Arbital. Um, but I love the vibe. I love when the promos are so just straight underneath you and so close. Um, I think it's it's an incredible special atmosphere and, and feeling there. So 
Um, I'm very much looking forward to this one. Although this time I sing from the balcony, so I will be further away. So um, yeah, the first sorry, I, balcony, but yeah, but you know, in, in the I don't know how you call away it away from the kind of the main. So you're yeah, people, next to the can Wave. We'll be able to see you um, because I'll be there, of course, with some friends and supporting. Come on. Um, the first one I was think my part is only on on the vowel R. I even don't sing words, and it's only two and a half minutes long. Oh yeah, exactly. We're going to get so. onto that. Um, yeah, that. Well, let's get onto it now. I mean, somebody phones you up and go, uh, Ben, got, a, got some good news and bad news. The good news, you're on at the proms again, and you go, oh, fantastic. When I go to Lübeck, I can say I'm coming to the proms. Like, oh, the proms, we love this thing. It, oh. it's, are you going to sing Land of Hope and Glory? And you'll say no. Obviously. Hopefully, in the future. And uh, Royal Britannia? No, not that. But what about um, what I am going to do is I'm going to do Nielsen Third Symphony. And listen, let's be honest about it. And on this podcast, we try to be honest. You know, it, Nielsen symphonies—they're not exactly on everybody's playlist on Spotify. So you go, oh, not Nielsen, yet. Let me let me look that up on IMSLP. And you look it up and you think, hang on a second, it's how many singing? Scroll, 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 scroll. Two minutes. <laughs> I don't actually sing any words in this. Well, at least you can't miss the words. No, you can't forget them. <laughs> Nobody can say. I mean, you can sing it on a different vowel, maybe. That's that's the worst you could do. So, okay, so let's. It's basically it is part of it. It is the second movement of Nielsen's yes. Third Symphony. And then Nielsen Symphony Extravaganza, or something. It's called Expansive Easter, or yes. something like that. It's basically just warbling on an E flat major chord for two and a half minutes. And then you have all that experience. There's no. Do you get nervous about it? Is that is that a, a thing not to be nervous about? It depends on acoustics and also who the soprano is, because you sing most of the time together with the soprano. And if it's a huge voice, of course she lies two octaves higher than you do. So you want to be heard as well. At least you know for these two minutes, at least you want that people recognize that there is also a male singer involved. So um, these are things which maybe get me a little bit nervous. Interesting. Do you know the singer you're doing it with? Yes, I've done it with her as well already. Elizabeth Watts. That's right. Or Liz Watts. Oh, so, so we'll be, you'll be the Nielsen Second Symphony gang. Here we go First again. Symphony, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I might have thought there are more stressful things to do. I mean, for example, I've seen you do wonderful leader recital. I've seen you at the Wigmore Hall, do your Vintage that, you know, for them that don't know you, Winterreiser is an hour and 15 minutes of one man reciting poetry uh, on their own. I mean, I think that, by the way, is as close to stand-up comedy as a singer will get. The reason for why is it's just you and the audience. There's nothing between you and the audience. You've got no, no director. No to hide. No where to hide. Uh, they're observing absolutely everything, every single detail. And you react on it as well. Yeah, absolutely. It influences there, your performance. There's no fourth wall, as they say. Yeah. And, and here you are at the proms doing, you know... Ah, oh, for two and a half minutes. But to be very honest, it's harder doing these two and a half minutes because you can't mess it up. If you mess up a piece of two hours, it's fine because you have more chances to make it make up for it again. But two and a half minutes, you have to nail it down. So yeah. sometimes it's not so easy singing just a little bit in a big, big piece. Yeah, okay, that's good. So um, <coughs> let me just go back over your two prompts. We did the Triumph Lied. Yeah. In the triumph song, basically, which is <laughs> celebrating German victories over I don't know who were the, the French or somebody or other, which is a little bit like it is land of hope and glory, but for Germans. Another piece which is very popular. Yeah, and then you did uh, Carmine Burano, like you said. You said you know that Carmine Burano has got a bit of history at the proms. Did you no. know that? No. Do you know about 1974 Carmine Burano? No. Ah, oh, this is going to be good. They're doing Carmen Burano. Thomas Allen is singing. Uh, it's in the second half, of course, which it often is. And um, he basically gets through the first baritone number. There are about, is it six or seven numbers? Yeah. Some, something like that. He gets through the first number. He goes a bit wobbly on the second number. He's like, literally, physically, 
he for some I don't know exactly what was going on with him uh, on the third number he collapsed wow he basically cannot go on and he's he's escorted off the stage or <laughs> hauled off backwards by his arms who knows and there was a guy in the audience a guy called Patrick McCarthy who was a singing student had sung Carmen Birana a few times and his fellows around him said, why don't you go and see if they've got a replacement? I mean, of course they haven't got a replacement. You know, there's, no, there's, there's nobody sitting there waiting to, wait to, you know, catch the, uh, the, the, the individual musicians and take over. It's not like, I mean, the opera, maybe. They might, you might find somebody who could possibly muster the role from among, in amongst the chorus, but definitely not in that. Um, apparently there was one guy who could have helped treat Thomas Allen but he was a doctor in the chorus and he was involved trying to revive Thomas Allen so he goes backstage and he says listen I'm, I know this part do you, do, you want me to, do you want me to go on and they found a um, tailcoat for him and some amazing stuff yeah and on he went and did it it was with Andre Previn and I think the uh, BBC Symphony Orchestra and he sung the remaining numbers it's a part and of well well yeah I mean he didn't have Thomas Allen's career but well enough, it was on the news, and Amazing. it's become a... You ask, when you next time you... Well, I'm very happy that I made it through. The young man emerged from the audience, clutching the score. He knew the music well, and came onto the stage to take over from Thomas Allen. Andre Previn didn't know who he was, he just hoped that Patrick could sing the part. And he came out on stage, and we thought it was to make an announcement. And he, as he walked past the podium, he said, I know this piece, I'll do it. And I said, fine. And then he took his place in front of the podium, and I thought, what if this guy is a nutter? You know, what if he can't sing at all? I'm just saying that your two and a half hours of two and a half minutes of singing, you know, if it Do you goes think wrong, anyone else will know Nielsen? Well, you know, I might have a score with me. Maybe, I yeah. mentioned I'd be in the audience. We'll start. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you've been singing, and obviously it is such a, you know, the the machine is you, the instrument is you. Have there been moments that have happened like Thomas Allen, anything like that? You think, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to get through this, or has that ever happened to you? Yes, Carmen Burana. Really? Japan. Seriously? Yeah. Same thing. No, almost. I went through, but it was an absolute nightmare, and it's a moment in my life. Uh, notes cracked and uh, notes miss were missed, and so on. Uh, that's for me the darkest moment of my of my performing career. So it's Carmen Verana is a tricky piece. Why is it tricky? Because it requires actually two voices. One is a very very lyrical high, not too high, but a very lyrically sweet voice and the other one is a very shouty loud metallic part can you sorry if and, you, me, and then you also have to sing in falsetto very high and this only works really when you treat your voice not not too heavily and you're not banging it and so it's just there are all these different bits and it requires different techniques and that's hell yeah and so I don't find it really very uh, the baritone part is not really nice and, and, and interesting 
I just find it not very good. Yeah, that's interesting. Is it? It's like a bit of a, you know, black sump of that swallows up baritones. Exactly. That's sump of despair. And there are many around, so it's not a problem. <laughs> As a singer, you are, I mentioned the stand-up comedy bit and the fact that the audience, you mentioned that's very interesting, the audience affects how you perform. So in stand-up comedy terms, they refer to it as the fourth wall. You're familiar with this concept. Yes. Yeah. Um, some people go, I don't know what you're talking about, what wall? There's no actual wall, it's a pretend wall. You, the audience and you you're looking at one another in real time and space as, a, as opposed to an actor who walks around the place like the audience aren't effectively mm-hmm. there. The audience is part of the show. Mm-hmm. And that is, by the way, what separates stand-up comedy, I think, from mm-hmm. theatre because mm-hmm. the audience is part of the show. And it's interesting to hear you feel, to hear your thoughts on, on that as well. Um, you are actually looking the audience in the eye. Do I you, try to. Sorry? I try to, Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're certainly aware of you know movements and shapes and stuff that they're making. When okay, in 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 recital when you're doing you know uh, when you're doing leader, um, what what sort of effect might they have on you? What sort of things might they change in your performance? Depends also on the level of preparation and how self confident you find in this moment. Um, but if you're doubting it, of course, and you see a reaction, uh, it needs only one person action though, which ha- gives you the impression of some negative feedback. It can just completely destroy your entire thing. And it doesn't matter if 80 people smile at you and one people doesn't, this one person is the one which actually affects your performance. There's this wonderful story of the great singer Elisabeth Schwarzkopf. So there was a lady in the first row sitting, an old lady, and she walked out. And this lady was shaking always the, the head, close the eyes and put her hands in front of her head and still shaking her head. And it completely drove Schwarzkopf crazy. So she walked off for the interval and said to the promoter, you have to remove this woman. She really destroys my entire performance. And she really went quite wild and, and angry. Um, second half, this woman still was sitting in the first row doing the same things. Afterwards, Schwarzkopf was signing programs and CDs or LPs at this time probably. And uh, suddenly this old woman stood in front of her and she said, Schwarzkopf jumped at her and said, why the hell did you stay on and you didn't like the recital, you should have left in the interval, you really gave me hell and blah, blah, blah. And this old woman was completely insecure and said, I'm so, so sorry, I just thought all the time, how can sing someone so beautifully? So sometimes we even don't, are not able to really read the messages people send to us, both ways. Um, 
sometimes also members in the audience misunderstand your interpretation or misunderstands your, your, your intentions, your feelings. Um, so it's a funny, interesting thing. Um, what you've just said then, every stand-up com- comedian would completely agree with. Firstly, the thing is, they can all be laughing. There's one guy that isn't laughing. What's your problem, mate? The thing is, stand-up comedians can break out of the, you know, the poetry and go, what, what's your problem? Yeah. Um, little realising that it could be like your little old lady in front of Elizabeth yeah. Schwarzkopf. Um, they're enjoying it, but just in their own way. I think, actually, um, it's good to meet the audience from that point of view. Because you can talk yourself into a spiral of despair, definitely thinking that you have done the worst possible and job. The problem in, in our world is we, particularly when you do a site like Winterreise of one hour fifteen, without clapping between, you don't get a feedback from the people, a real feedback. Hmm. With applause, you sometimes you know you can see if they like it or not. But if you do a cycle of one and a half hour or one hour fifteen, and you don't get one clap within the entire thing, you get more and more insecure. Sometimes a break is great, or groups of songs, then you just can sense it better, but this way is hard. Um, what do you think about people clapping at concerts? Fine. So I mean, sometimes if I really don't want to have it, because I really think it's an amazing experience we all should share, that from one song into the other one, it's wonderful to go into, because of the harmonic changes or uh, poetry connection or whatever, or if, if that's something really which is very important to me as an artist because I feel emotionally, personally about very strongly, then I would mention it beforehand. I would say, actually, guys, you know, look, that's a group I really think it, it's connected somehow. I would like that we actually experience it all together, so maybe we couldn't, we all don't clap. And, but generally, if there is a reaction between movements of a symphony or or whatever, or songs, I think it's actually quite nice that there is some reaction coming from an audience. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, when this music was written, of they expected their, yeah. their, their remote art letters which said, you know, they forgot to clap in the good bit. So the other thing is, you're in oratorio or those kinds of situations where you're not on all the time. So you, like, I don't know, let's say Carmina. Okay, well, Carmina, you're worrying about, you know, this terrible writing that you think is going to fall apart. But there are other ones. I don't know. Have you done any messiahs? You must have of done course. a few. Of course. All the Bach oratorios, yeah. Brahms, Warwick, in Britain, all of different things. So it's, it's, it's one of the Bach oratorios that you've done quite a lot. And you sit down after the first number and you're basically just waiting to do it. You're not kind of full of nerves anymore. What, what are you looking at? What are you thinking? Well, there's one very famous colleague of mine, a baritone, who actually got a lot or some dates, he was seeing Christus in Matthew Passion, he got out a few dates from the audience because he started to suddenly check out the girls in the audience and started to go out with them afterwards. So some people do that while listening or not listening to music. I actually, I had a teacher who was very strict and we worked on these things actually a lot and I really tried to be in the moment and respectful and... Um, the good thing is this music is so gorgeous that you can't get enough, so I'm very happy listening to my colleagues in the choir and the orchestra. Yeah. A couple more things, um, because you've got experience of both worlds. What, for you, is the difference between um, music making in Germany and music making in the UK? Fees. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rehearsal? Rehearsals. So, uh, presumably, for your two and a half minutes, you're going to meet on the day. Of course. 
I once did a messy passion, which is three hours long, and I did a lot of the things I did, pilot and all the other rules, and St. Peter, Peter and all the arias. And I met this very, very famous conductor for the very first time, two hours before the concert. We rehearsed the first half in 20 minutes, which is normally around 50 minutes, the first half. We're talking so, UK here. Yeah, UK. Yeah. Second half is one and a half hours at least, uh, and we rehearsed the entire bit in 35 minutes. I never sang through one recitative of all, and I asked after the rehearsal, sorry, we've never worked together, so how are you doing that, or can we speak through it? He said, no, no, you will just watch me, and if I do this one gesture to you, you sing just an appoggiatura, so it's a, a leaning note, it's a different note you have to sing. Sometimes it's stylistically in Baroque in this period, very, very particular. And if I don't do that, just sing as it's written down. So I was like looking to my music and always checking with the conductor on every note if he's doing this little sign in front of me. Um, so that's the UK. You're just very stressed. But sometimes it also has its charm. Yeah, charm is one thing. Um, do you think that things can get over-rehearsed in Germany? It depends on the conductor and the orchestra's attitude. Yes, it can. But... It doesn't have to do so much with really the rehearsal time than with the human, with with the personalities. Okay. I think even with these people, it could get over-rehearsed in one day in the UK. Um, and what about the audiences? And I'm thinking particularly about the proms. So let's talk I, about well, it's a different Sometimes in Germany they tell you, oh, in the re recording 1945, they did it this way and they did it a little bit slower than you do and that's not right how you do it. So they're, they're very opinionated about everything. In Germany? Yeah, very much. Um, that sometimes... Uh, on one hand, it's also wonderful that they are so uh, keen on things and know a lot of about it, but uh, after a performance of two hours, you don't want to discuss suddenly a recording of 1947 and 1983 or something. You just want to have your pint. <laughs> Can I have another one, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> another pint for Mr. Apple, please. Coming right up, Governor! Benjamin Apple. Believe me, worth catching whatever he's doing, even if it's just going, ah. Find him on the web and join his growing army of fans. Never compose anything unless the not composing of it becomes a positive nuisance to you, is a quotation by Gustav Holst, not Edward Elgar. Uh, of course, if you make that mistake in Germany, they will be down on you like a ton of bricks, or rather, in German... They will, like a ton of bricks, on you be down falling. Ton, feminine, bricks, masculine, on you, accusative, herabfallen, separable verb, herab, down, fallen, fall, used in the infinitive. But by the time they've worked all that out, you'll probably be out of earshot. And ignore my crude paraphrasing, Ben is singing in Carl Nielsen's Symphony No. 3, not 2 or 4 or any other I might have mentioned, you can catch it on BBC Sounds until the 10th of October. Find BBC Sounds on the web, navigate to Radio 3, and it will be there. What I didn't get out of Ben was the name of his baritone colleague who regularly eyes up the girls during Bach's St Matthew Passion. That has got to be the ultimate groupie story of all time. Hey, you never guess what? I went to this concert last night and got off with Jesus. Well... That's almost it for this episode. Please don't forget to share our episodes. Share, subscribe, leave glowing feedback, all that. Get in touch at www.promsinthepub.co.uk. Thanks.
regular guest Harry the Piano, harrythepiano.com, is again doing recitals on boats. But he was so moved by Ben's interview and the various stories of Carmina Burana misfortune, he has combined this. with this Schubert to produce this Schubert does the Burana until next time thanks for listening Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.